Hi Cornerstone, good morning and happy new year. I'm Bob Skaggs and I'm uh, going to read the teaching text for today found in Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. Let's pray together. Father, the scripture reminds me of um, the 23rd Psalm, where it says that you lead us on paths of righteousness for your namesake. It reminds me of Proverbs 3, where it says, if we trust in the Lord with all our hearts, that you'll make our path straight. And Father, as we start a new year, it's a great time for us just to stop and look. And we do ask this morning that you'd help us to find the ancient paths. Paths of men like Daniel, Jeremiah, Moses, Paul, and others that we could name even in our own nation in days gone by. God, as a community, as a church, we want to walk those paths. And so this morning we ask you, where is the good way? Would you please help us to find it? And Lord, we just uh, trust that as you do, that we'll find rest for our souls. And now God, be with John as he um, takes us through the word and helps us to process and understand what this means. We love you so much. Thank you for your written word that we understand in our own language. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. Around 107 AD, a man named Ignatius was overseer of the church in Antioch in Syria. And he was the first bishop over that church since the time of the apostles. Ignatius was in his 70s and had been condemned to die as a Christian by imperial authorities. And since great festivities had been planned in Rome, they decided to extradite the, the ancient bishop in the 70s to Rome to entertain the crowd so his death could be celebrated. Ignatius was extradited, and on his way to Rome from Antioch, he wrote seven letters that give us remarkable insight into early Christianity. Ignatius learned en route to Rome that some of the Roman Christians were petitioning for his release, and they were laboring to keep him from being executed. Ignatius vehemently disagreed with this plan and opposed such measures. He wrote to them saying, I fear your kindness, which may harm me. You may be able to achieve what you plan, but if you pay no heed to my request, it will be very difficult for me to attain unto God. Ignatius goes on to explain. He says, if you remain silent about me, I shall become in my martyrdom a word of God and a witness for Jesus Christ. But if you allow yourselves to be swayed by your love for me in the flesh, I shall be no more than a human voice. Ignatius didn't want freedom. Instead, he wanted the Roman Christians to pray that he would have the strength to endure his trial, as he said, so that he may not only be called a Christian, 
but also behave as such. He said, when I suffer, I shall be free in Jesus Christ, and with him I shall rise again in freedom. Not long after writing this, Ignatius was killed as a martyr. Consider also the story of Perpetua and Felicity, these North African Christian women who lived in the third century. Perpetua had come from an aristocratic family, and Felicity had actually been her slave. The two of them met Jesus and formed this deep spiritual friendship, and they were arrested in Carthage because of their faith and were sent to the arena to die. Felicity was pregnant at the time and afraid that the Romans wouldn't let her enter the arena in her state, but she didn't want to give up the opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And so the church in Carthage began to pray that Felicity would would go into labor and have her child so she could have her day in the arena. In prison, before the day of, that they would enter the arena, uh, Felicity went into labor. And as she was laboring and experiencing the pains in prison, the other prisoners began to taunt her, asking her if she thought she was in pain now, how she would be able to endure the suffering in the arena. And Felicity responded, It is I who suffer now, but there will be someone in me in the arena who will suffer with me because I am suffering for him. A few days later, poised, controlled, joyous, and of brilliant countenance, the sisters in Christ entered the arena. Wild animals were loosed upon them, a wild heifer, but it didn't kill them. And ultimately, an executioner was sent out to finish the job. Before they were killed, Felicity and Perpetua stood together arm in arm and called out to the church, stand fast in the faith and love one another. Or finally, consider the brief accounts of a young Roman Christian by the name of Sanctus who upon his arrest and torture under the regime of uh, Emperor Marcus Aurelius stood firm in his faith. And when ordered to recant, he simply responded, I am a Christian. The more he was tortured, the more he uh, persisted in saying nothing but these words, I am a Christian, I am a Christian, I am a Christian. Moved by his courage, some who earlier had denied their faith returned to confess and to die as martyrs. The author of Hebrews, describing faithful men and women through the ages like this, said, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. How did Ignatius and Felicity and Perpetua and Sanctus and countless others endure such hardship and hold on to their faith? By what means were such men and women formed that they could persevere even to the point of death? Each of these had been trained to tread the ancient paths. 
The ancient paths, as, as Jeremiah tells us here in chapter 6 of his book, is not a literal road, but the ancient path is a manner of being in the world. It's a way of living that's informed and guided not by one's intuition alone or by following their heart, nor by being keenly aligned with and in touch with one's contemporaries or the wisdom of the age. Now, the ancient path is a manner of being in the world that's shaped by considering and embracing the enduring faithful witness of ages past. It's a manner of being that delights in the law of the Lord, as Psalm 1 says, and causes a man or a woman to delight in that law, to meditate on it day and night. It's a manner of living that requires humility and a willingness to be trained, to suffer, to be misunderstood, to not have the last word, to be disrespected and maligned if it means greater intimacy with and conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. The ancient path is a way of being that reflects a fear of God and not of people. It's a resolution to live in alignment with truth, even when it's costly or unpopular, thought to be regressive, foolish, or simply impractical. It, it reflects the way of Jesus who said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. These men and women were capable of doing such things because they had been tr trained to walk the ancient paths. Jeremiah declared, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and then walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I should be clear the ancient path is not a universal rejection of novelty, nor is it an implicit and, or blanket approval of the past. Uh, there's actually much that we should be ashamed of in our past and much that we should uh, repent of, and there's a lot that the years have brought to light. In 2021 in our city, we remember how a hundred years ago, an angry mob of white Tulsans murdered black Tulsans destroying countless homes and businesses and churches, and many of the perpetrators were Christians. And in the city of Tulsa and all across our country, we are still reaping a harvest of hurt and mistrust and racial tension caused by events just like this. And we could spend hours enumerating the great harm done to the world by, those, by some people who profess to know and follow Jesus, who, misguided by their own prejudice or idolatry, have dragged the name of Jesus Christ through the mud. Whether it's easy things that we could point at, like the Crusades or the Inquisition or the role of Christians in, in upholding Jim Crow laws, or even people who carried the Christian flag while perpetrating violence this week, storming into the Capitol. People carrying banners that said, proud American Christian. We could name many present and past examples of people who have done great harm in the name of Jesus. The ancient path is not nostalgic. It's not this whitewashed fondness for all things old. The ancient path is not an attempt to wind back the clock and go back to the good old days as if they ever existed. The ancient path recognizes that not all that is old is wisdom, and not all that is new is progress. 
The ancient path is what Jesus called the narrow path. It's the pilgrim path. It's the path of the cross, and it's a path that few really dares to tread. Jeremiah said, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. The ancient paths offers a roadmap to rest for a world that is exhausted and overwhelmed and stricken with anxiety, bearing pressures that no generation before has had to deal with. When some children and teenagers are saddled with the task of identifying and selecting and announcing their own gender, or when all of us must come to grips with what David Kinnaman of the Barna Group calls the discontinuously different challenges presented to us in the information age, where we have a thousand times the knowledge of the Library of Alexandria and the Library of Congress at our fingertips at 10,000 times the speed Our minds, despite their spectacular design and plasticity, were simply not equipped to handle uh, the glut of the noise and news that are thrown at us every day. And no matter we're depressed and fried and can't always explain why. In the face of what feels like novel pressures everywhere, a, a novel virus that's brought our world to a grinding halt, the novel experience of living in what some people call a monoculture, where as a result of the internet, every global event is made to feel like a local event and starts conversations and brings pressures to which all of us feel this inclination to respond. Uh, I heard in the last year numerous stay-at-home parents say that during the Black Lives Matter demonstrations of the last year, they felt this overwhelming pressure and shame to to publicly speak out or risk being labeled as a racist or out of touch. And that is a new pressure. When, When regular people like you and me feel like we need to have our own communications department, that is a new pressure and a new challenge that's different than previous generations. As institutions like our national government or like the local church seem to be crumbling around us and the unrelenting pressure of novelty rises, we need a manner of living, of of navigating a world of such pressures that actually works, a way of being that's been tested and tried and found trustworthy. We need an ancient path. Jeremiah says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. We called 2018 the year of the Bible, and many of you were there for that that experience we had together of studying from Genesis to Revelation as a church and our daily readings and our weekly teachings with the year of the Bible. And, uh, well, that was 2019. In 2020, we had uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where for eight months we studied these three chapters, and then for most of the rest of last year, we studied the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, looking like, what does it mean to be a community of the Mount? And in 2021, this year, we're exploring the ancient path. We're going to do this by imaginatively journeying through the stories of people in the Bible who have lived well or who have learned wisdom by living poorly and letting God put them back together. 
who have demonstrated in their own stumbling lives of faith things that each of us in our lives can hold on to, to enable us with God's help to gain the wisdom and the perspective and the strength we need to live unshakably amid tumult, to live patiently amid hurry, to live quietly and peacefully amid noise, faithfully amid moral bankruptcy, and fruitfully amid spiritual deserts and droughts. With humility and with curiosity and and faith, we're going to ask together, Lord, would you show us the ancient paths and learn from Jesus who described himself as being humble and gentle in spirit, the way that we can find rest for our souls, a deep and abiding and enduring rest. To help expand our imagination beyond the emotional bubble of life in our cultural moments, I'm going to deliberately rely upon old sources in my, in my sermon prep. Uh, studying the mothers and fathers of, of our church, theologians, of people who've lived faithfully, regular people who've lived faithfully in generations and epochs past. I'm going to tell old stories from the treasury of church history of people who have faced dangers and pressures even more intense than the ones that we feel right now. In our worship together, you may notice more old songs, uh, hymns, and, and psalms, old prayers, things like creeds and liturgies, all in an effort to remind us that we are not the first people to walk the journey of faith or face the challenges therein. I want us to remember that we're part of a story that far outsizes our own small piece of it. As the year goes on, I want to share a few practical ways that our journey down the ancient path is going to shape and inform some of the ways that we choose to behave as a group of people. The first of these has to do with our community life together. If you're new to our church, we call our, our home groups apprentice groups. And it comes from the vision of like a master with an apprentice. In the in ages past, if you wanted to learn a skill, if you wanted to be a woodworker or an electrician, you would apprentice yourself to a master. You'd be with them and learn from them how to do what they know to do, to have their intuition and their instincts. And we want to, all of us, become apprentices of Jesus. That's the vision of our apprentice groups. In this spring, in our apprentice groups, we're going to be studying a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. And Warren is an Anglican priest who's written this fabulously accessible book uh, about ways to leverage our everyday routines, things like waking up, brushing our teeth, uh, fighting with our spouse, as ways of stoking in our imagination and helping us remember our Christian identity. And this book is going to highlight ancient practices like baptism and communion and confession and blessing and marking time. All of it is this imaginative way of helping us to enter into even further the way of being a Christian as people have been a Christian in generations past. We're going to be studying liturgy of the ordinary as a way of stepping in even further together into the ancient path. A second way that we're going to be journeying down the ancient path together this year is through a renewed commitment to prayer. A touchstone passage of scripture for our church is John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And I hope that as long as Cornerstone is a, is a local church, I hope that we always have this complete, like, like blasé attitude toward any ambition to grow. It's not that I'm against growth. Healthy things grow. But like, I don't want to chase growth. I want us together to chase abiding, to chase remaining in Christ. He said, if you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear fruit. And so every year, I think that I've done some kind of year of or vision sermon, we've talked about the role of prayer. And after our building is rezoned, we hope to welcome people back into, welcome for the first time back into the space to begin our, our regular weekday corporate prayer, which has been Tuesdays at eight and Thursdays at noon. We hope to relaunch that by the end of the month or by February. And also our intention this year, as COVID permits us, is to have mon- monthly nights of worship and prayer. Uh, We want to grow not only in personal prayer, but also grow as a community of intercessors who are praying for the world, praying for the lost, praying for spiritual awakening. You won't find anyone who's journeyed down the ancient path who's not been a student of prayer, someone who's had a commitment to prayer. And I'll be the first to admit, I would not say that I'm a person who's like the strongest prayer warrior in our church. It's just not true of me. I'm growing. I, I want to grow more in prayer. This year, we're making a renewed commitment to grow in prayer as part of our journey down the ancient path. The third thing that I want to highlight in our journey down the ancient path uh, may surprise you at first, but it has to do with care for the poor. If you look at the lives of ordinary Christians in the first three centuries, a behavior, an attitude, something that they did regularly that was present everywhere was building in time to care for the poor one way or another. It was present in the lives of believers. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, talked about this in chapter one of his book where he said, religion that's pure and faultless and pleases God our Father is to care for widows and orphans and, and to keep yourself from being unstained in the world. Uh, Care for the poor was a big deal in the life of early Christians journeying down the ancient path. As God gave instructions to the people of Israel, I'm starting to preach on this ahead of myself here. As God gave instructions to the people of Israel in Exodus about when they get established in the promised land, they're to leave the corners of their land unharvested so that the poor and the widow and the orphan could come and have something to eat. In a number of different ways, we're going to be talking about care for the poor this year and inviting one another into opportunities to engage. One way is is by caring for those who are in spiritual poverty. Uh, We want to see the gospel spread in the city of Tulsa. And we also, as one of our strategic goals as a church, is we want to see the gospel spread in under-evangelized nations and fragile states. And I'm talking about things, places like Sudan and Syria. And we have ministry partners in those spaces and going into those spaces. And we want to highlight their work and create uh, more conversation around what they're doing so that we can together pray for God to move in power in those places where his name is currently not honored. We want to care for those in spiritual poverty. Uh, We want to care for those in uh, experiencing material poverty. In the last couple of weeks, I have been so struck driving down Harvard from my house to our new facility by the number of people camping out under I-44. And you could go to almost any overpass and underpass, like, you know, going under the highway and around the city of Tulsa, any off-ramp, you're going to see people asking for money. And the way of Jesus just includes care for the poor. Jesus said the gospel is good news to the poor. And as a church, 
We want to not only give to ministries, but each of us, we want to encourage one another and equip one another to do more of that, to embody the gospel by caring for the poor in our own city this year. And then third, I point to those who are experiencing a relational poverty. I think especially of uh, children and families who are in the foster care system. Numerous families in our church have taken in foster children. We would love to see more of that. But we're also just asking the question, how can we be advocates for these children in the foster care system? Advocate for those experiencing a kind of relational poverty. In our community life, uh, by going down the ancient path, using literature to the ordinary, a renewed commitment to prayer, care for the poor. And then the fourth thing I would say that how the ancient path is informing how we want to behave together this year is simply to pace ourselves. This is going to be the work of many lifetimes. We don't have to rush. Ben Kilgore a couple of years ago gave me this quote from a pastor. It said, don't do the work of God at a pace that destroys the work of God in you. It, many of us appreciated the change of pace of COVID that COVID brought last year. Uh, and we just want to be realistic. We are not machines. We are not meant to run endlessly on fumes. We are people who need rest. We, we're in this for the long haul. Therefore, we're going to pace ourselves. Someone asked me, actually, in fact, it may have been my wife, Emily, what are your goals for this year? And I told her, I think one of them is just to set reasonable expectations for what I can actually do this year. With COVID and the many complications it brings, the endless amount of adjusting and decision-making and changing the decisions we made five minutes ago, uh, we just have to be on our toes and we have to be realistic. Personally, in our family, as we welcome a fourth baby, we recognize that's a really big change for us. And so we're going to be realistic and, and fair-minded about what we can do together. We're going to be kind to ourselves, trust God, and go at a healthy pace. Now, as a church, we're going to faithfully steward the opportunities that, are, that have been entrusted to us, the resources that have been entrusted to us, but we are not going to be frenzied. We're not going to be anxious. We're not going to be people who are like running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And if you're a person who's annoyed that we've not already gone 100% back to normal with COVID and all the classes and everything in person, I'm just going to tell you, you may continue to be annoyed uh, with me and with us. I want to regather in person more than anybody else, perhaps, but we're going to do it at the right time, at the right pace. Now, I really appreciate all of you listening and continuing to have patience as we deal with the online world, waiting for our building to rezone. I sure wish that it were warmer outside, so I felt like we could more reasonably uh, gather somewhere. But as this new year begins, some of you are new to our church. Some of you have been a part of our church for a long time. I want to invite all of you who would say Cornerstone is your home church to make a couple of resolutions with me and in partnership with our church this year. And maybe you're a person who, you know, you had not been a part of a church or you've been a part of another church, you watched online throughout COVID and feel yourself kind of in orbit of our church. No matter where you are, uh, I would invite those of you who regard Cornerstone to be your church to make a, a few resolutions with me. The first is this. I invite you to resolve to pray, to take uh, Jeremiah 6.16 to heart, that we, we were going to resolve to pray to ask uh, for the ancient paths. 
Uh, pray this for yourself. God, would you give us the wisdom to know what the ancient path is, to know the way that leads to rest? Pray it over your apprentice group. Pray it over our church. Pray it over me, please. Uh, pray it over our city. Just pray that God would do stuff in our city to call men and women to go down the ancient path following Jesus and carrying our cross. I'd invite you to resolve to pray. The second invitation I want to offer to you is to resolve to participate. Uh, Gallup had a study in recent weeks of those people who, whose mental health, people's mental health was affected in 2020 by COVID. The group that was unchanged and actually saw an increase in mental health in 2020 were those people who were involved in worship services on a weekly basis. Those who were involved only on a monthly basis or a sporadic basis had drops in mental health similar to people who never participated in a worship service. This year, I want to invite you to resolve to participate. Unless you're out of town or you're super, super sick, I'd invite you to like prioritize weekly participation in worship services with our community. The idea of going to church may sound like not compelling to some of you, but yet there's something that happens when the people of God are together. There's something that happens when we sing together. When you hear other believers sing, my sermon is 30% better. It's just true. Uh, I would invite you to resolve to participate. As there are opportunities, I'd invite you to participate by serving one another in our church. I'd invite you, uh, especially those of you who are new to our church, to, to take a step to sign up for an apprentice group or res- renew your commitment to participate in your apprentice group. I invite you to resolve to pray, to participate. The third thing I want to invite you to do is to resolve to partner. If Cornerstone is your home church, I would ask you to make a plan and commit to a plan to to give to support God's work in our church. Uh, Our relationship with money, I think, is central to our discipleship. When Jesus said you can't serve two masters, he was talking about God and money. If, If Cornerstone is your home church, I would invite you to make a plan to honor God with your wealth and to support, uh, support God's work in our church with your resources. I'd also invite you to be a partner by like advocating for God's work in our church by inviting people into it. Even in the last couple of weeks, several people I know have invited folks to church who have come for the first time, and there's been this sense of like, I'm home. I'd invite you this year to resolve to be a partner, to uh, consider yourself a, a member in this, committed to it with our church. And then finally, I would just ask you to resolve to be pliable, to be flexible. We're going to need flexibility and adaptability this year with COVID, with regard to our worship services, with your apprentice groups. But also I want you to be, uh, invite you to be pliable in more of like a, a meta sense in your relationship with God, to be pliable, to be correctable, coachable, trainable, willing to be reshaped. In all of this, going down the ancient path is, is one more way as a church. Together, we're contending for our mission, which is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. What a joy to get to do this together. I'm going to end with this prayer from uh, the Book of Common Prayer, which is just a prayer for the local church. Pray, Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear our prayers and grant that in Cornerstone the pure word of God may be preached, the sacraments duly administered, 
Strengthen and confirm the faithful. Protect and guide the children. Visit and relieve the sick. Turn and soften the wicked. Arouse the careless. Recover the fallen. Restore the penitent. Remove all the hindrances to the advancement of your truth and bring us all to be of one heart and mind within your holy church to the honor and glory of your name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord Jesus, we're, we're asking you to give us the grace to ask for your help this year, to ask for the ancient paths. And Lord, we are counting on you to show up. We trust that you've been faithful in ages past, and we're banking on your faithfulness in the present. Would you give us fresh energy and resolve where many of us are emotionally tired and spent? I think of group leaders who've tried to keep things going and folks have been so inconsistent. Lord, would you renew us? Would you renew our resolve? Would you increase our capacity? Would you strengthen us? May we not be victims of this virus and letting it defeat us emotionally or victims of what's gone on politically, but help us to grow in strength and in wisdom. And we trust you and give this year to you. We'll pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God loves you. We'll see you around.